0: In many ways, uh, this passage has come to light in my own personal life. I'm thankful uh, that God continues to be a God who keeps His promises and truly does enter into the different circumstances of life that we live. Uh, My name is Kyle Osborne. I serve as one of the Gospel Community Leaders. And uh, it's been a great journey for me just going through this passage of Scripture and really just kind of considering what does God have for us Uh, this morning, Uh, because the truth is, is that our world is filled with broken promises. Um, We say things that we're going to do, and then we don't follow through. We promise to do things to our kids, or our neighbors, or our our friends, or our family, and then life gets busy, and then we don't fulfill on those promises. We sign paperwork saying that we're going to buy a car, or buy a home, and life enters in and we struggle to make those promises come true. Or even in the relationships that we have, whether we're dating or married, sometimes those promises go awry. The sin of our lives and the sin of the world, we struggle with that and then our promises don't come true. And I think for many of us, we know that pain. We know that when we make a promise and then we see in the eyes of those that are with us, the pain that comes for not keeping those promises. And for those that are friends of ours or people that we're surrounded by, they make promises to us and those promises fall short and we feel like we don't know if we can trust those people anymore. We live in a world of broken promises and this is what Zachariah sings about this morning. As he sings about a God who gives great promises, and he's not a God that just gives great promises and grandiose ideas, but he's a God who makes promises and then fulfills every single promise. And so in those promises, Zechariah is caught up. He's, He's brought up in the God of those promises, and as he sings about them, I hope that the Lord would meet you, that God's spirit would be moving in your heart this morning to encourage you, to build you up, to move you in a direction of faith instead of brokenness. And so our big idea this morning is God's promises to visit his people and to save his people. God promises to Visit and save his people. And when Zechariah is singing, he kind of does that in three different ways. As he's singing about God's promises, he says, hey, um, when you think of God's promises, I want to encourage you to look back. Look back and see what God has said and what God has done. The next portion of the passage that we're going to look at, Zechariah actually encourages us to look in. How are those promises transforming us? How are those promises actually moving in our heart and our soul? And lastly, Zechariah says, hey, we're going to look forward. How are God's promises moving us, calling our attention to look forward and how those promises will be fulfilled? So in this passage, Zechariah sings, but to know a little bit more of the context, we have to turn one page back into Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 25, and we get the context of what is going on in Zechariah's life that would cause him to sing in these ways. And so in this moment of time, Zechariah is a priest in the nation of Israel He is serving in the temple, and what the priest would do is he would go in very similar to the pastors of our day, would go in and commune with God, would pray to God, they would burn incense, and they would fall on their knees and ask God to work not only in their lives but for God's people. They would make sacrifices for the people, and those sacrifices would cleanse them of their sins. But we know that those sacrifices were in part because one day they were looking forward to a savior where he would be the one who saves his people. And so Zechariah is serving as a priest in this day, and he's inside the Holy of Holies, where only the priest could go, and the people are outside to the temple, and they are praying and asking God, would you move, and would you work, and would you speak? And it's in this context, in this moment that Zechariah is praying and all of a sudden the angel Gabriel shows up. And he shows up and he says, my name is Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God and I have good news. You would think that would be enough for Zechariah. But Gabriel says, hey, Zechariah, I have words, good news for you. The way that you've been praying for a son the way that you and Elizabeth have been asking God for a son, the Lord is going to provide that for you. The Lord is going to bring a son into your life. And Zachariah, in many ways, is like, hey, that's great, but help a brother out. I'm kind of struggling right now. I don't know if this is going to come true, so you've you got to help me. you got to give me a sign. you got to give me, you got to give me something. And so Gabrielle says, well, if you're not going to listen to my words, what I'm going to do is I'll give you a sign. I'll take away your speech. And then when you leave this place and you go to your people, you're not going to be able to speak. And so Zechariah loses his ability to speak. But God still provides a son and so Zechariah finishes his service, walks outside the temple and he's moving his hands and he's trying to say things and everybody's like, what? You can't speak anymore? And he's like, yeah, Uh, but he can't say anything. And so they know that he has seen God or an angel and so he's motioning and he's drawing in the sand. I don't know, I can only picture what he's trying to do to get his message across And so he finishes his time of service as a priest, goes home, and his wife conceives. And in the moment of his son's birth, Elizabeth says to her family, this son is going to be named John. And everybody's kind of looking around like, what are you talking about? There's nobody in your family that is named John. I think maybe you're wrong. And they look at Zachariah and he's like, You know, he can't speak still, and so there's this like disconnect, and so Zechariah, I don't know if he like draws in the sand or if he ushers in for a tablet, and so they give him a tablet, and he writes on it, his name is John. And at that moment, his mouth is opened, and he begins to sing and praise God for his fulfilled promises. And he speaks, and he sings with great joy, because All along, here's what's been happening. The angel Gabriel shows up to him. Mary and Joseph also get the same encounter where Gabriel shows up to Mary. Mary is told that she's going to bear Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, Emmanuel, God, with us. And so Zechariah, in these moments, in his muteness, is processing and putting together these pieces that God's promises of when He said He was gonna come and be with His people are coming true. When God said that He was gonna provide a Savior, God came and did what He said He was gonna do. And so Zechariah is singing with great joy and exuberance, and He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and He is singing and praising. And so we get to this song of Zechariah. The song is called the Benedictus because it comes from the first word of his song, and that word is blessing. Benedictus means blessing. Last week, Pastor Chris preached and walked us through the Song of Mary. We're in a series called the Songs of Advent. And what Pastor Chris walked us through is that God uses the lowly to speak God's truth. Specifically, here's what Pastor Chris said. He says, God brings salvation through the lowly to the lowly. And God uses Mary, a humble servant, to bring the Savior of the world. And so out of great joy, Zacharias sings and he says, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord because he visits his people and he fulfills his promises and he saves his people. So, as Zechariah is filled with God's Spirit, he encourages us this morning. As we hear this song, I want to encourage you to write down these three phrases We look back, we look in, and we look forward. In verse 68, I want to camp out on a few things because that's really what I believe God's Spirit uh, has moved in my heart this week uh, to really kind of pull out the main idea. And so in verse 68, here's what Zechariah says. He says, Bless the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. And so as God visits and he provides redemption, I want to give you a little bit more context to those words, and then we'll move forward in looking back. And so the word visited actually comes from a lot of different words that are used in the medical field that God visits. And when we go and visit a good doctor, we want them to hear what we're saying. We want them to expose and kind of uncover what's going on in our bodies and try to uncover what the sickness is. And so what Zechariah is singing about is, a, is, is when we actually go and visit a doctor, we want to know what's wrong with us, because an earthly doctor tries to uncover the physical sickness that we have, the ailments, the conditions that we have so that we can find healing and so in this word God visits it's actually God coming to his people not to expose in many ways the physical ailments that we have but to uncover the spiritual ailments that we have trying to uncover the parts of our heart that are still kind of messed up kind of stunted stuck in a place of spiritual unhealth and so God visits his people The second word redeemed is actually an active word. It's a a word that means accomplished redemption. It's a word that means finished work. So a couple different illustrations real briefly is that when we're in a pile of debt and we need someone to save us, it's, it's actually God's active work of actually paying that debt. That debt is gone. It's an active work of redeeming, of paying back, of saving. Another quick illustration is that if you are not a swimmer, um, it's, this will be a good illustration for you. If you are in the process of drowning and, and, the, and it's really bleak and there's no way of being saved, it's the active work of actually God pulling you out of the water. He's redeeming. It's the moment of redemption, it's the moment of salvation. And so Zechariah really wants to hit home that God visits and God saves his people. So we want to look back. The first way that Zechariah helps us to understand this is he looks back and he gives us a couple different people that God makes promises to. And those people are David, King David, and Abraham. And so as we look at God's promises and God's faithfulness, um, we look to David first. And so if you want to uh, just, we don't have time this morning, but if you want to go back and kind of read what God said to David, God's covenant promises to David, you can write these down in 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you want to go back and read those, 2 Samuel 7. And I want to give you a quick summary. Because when God promises these things to David, David is standing there in the presence of God via the, via the work of his Spirit and via the work of his prophets. And this is what God says to David in covenant promise. He says these three things. One, David, I'm going to promise you that I will establish your throne. And this throne isn't going to be a temporary throne. This throne isn't going to just be built for the here and now, but it's actually going to be a throne that I'm going to use to establish my eternal kingdom. Through you, David, I'm going to establish a kingdom that even though on this earth will pass away, that this kingdom will last forever in the kingdom of God. The second thing that God promises David is that he will have a land to live in. He promises David that his people will live there. He promises that he will be their God and they will be his people. And God promises that in this land he will dwell with his people. And the third thing that God promises is that the savior. That through the line of David, that God was going to bring a savior of the world. That through the faithful line of David, God was promising that he would bring a savior, and not just a savior at that time because they were wrestling with all of the peoples around them that God was going to bring a savior that was going to save Eternally, his people from their sins. So, as Zechariah sings, and if you go through this song, as you read in verse 69, as he sings and says, God is going to raise up a horn of salvation. This is the context of what God means. This is the context as Zechariah is filled with the Spirit, as he's overflowing with praise to God, he says, God, you are going to raise up a horn of salvation. You are going to raise up one that is going to grow into something magnificent. And in the power of, his, of God's spirit, Zechariah sings and says, God, you are a God who saves. And not only are you a God who saves from far off, but actually you come and you're physically present. You visit your people. And so God is going to raise up this horn of salvation. And I think it's fitting that Zechariah was wrestling with Gabriel. As he's in the temple and in the Holy of Holies, Zechariah goes from doubt and God providing him a son and he goes to faith and confidence and courage and hope. God visits his people and saves them. In verse 72 through 75, we're going to move to the second person as we look back. And his name was Abraham. It's, it's super interesting that when God makes his covenant with David in very similar fashion, he does the same promises to Abraham. If you want to find what God said to Abraham, you can go to Genesis 12. Both of these passages, uh, 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel 7 and uh, Genesis chapter 12, are really faith-building. If you see what God says to them and the promises that he makes to them and then you see how these come to fruition throughout, throughout history, it's actually faith-building. So I want to encourage you to do that this week. And so here are the three things that God promises to Abraham. The first one is that God promises Abraham a son. God promises Abraham a son, and that this wasn't just going to be a son that he was going to have, but through this offspring, through this son, God was going to bring the people of God as numerous as the stars in the sky. And after this promise, this covenant promise, God actually speaks to Abraham and he says, not only am I going to bring you descendants as as many as the stars in the sky, but I'm going to bless you. And not only am I going to bless you, but you are going to be a nation that goes forth and blesses all the nations of the world. That through Abraham, the blessing of God, kind of see that? The blessing of God, the Benedictus of God is that, that through Abraham, he was going to be a blessing to the nations. Not just his people, but to the nations. The third promise that Abraham gives to God is that he's also going to have a place to live. And this place to live wasn't going to just be a temporary place, but it was a foreshadow of the new kingdom, of the new heavens and the new earth. And so the reason I believe that Zechariah, empowered by the Holy Spirit, looks back and calls us into focus on King David and to Abraham is because I believe that he wants to ground us in the character of God, that our God is a promise-keeping God, that our God doesn't abandon his people, that, a God, that our God doesn't leave us in our moment of need, that God doesn't just say something and then do another, that God is a promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God who visits and saves his people. So after we look back, I want to encourage you to look at these next passages of Scripture So if you go um, to verses 73 uh, through 75, we're going to learn, and God calls us to look in. In sixth grade, um, I had a buddy of mine. His name was Jordan, and uh, we were in social studies together. Um, And if you know me, I like to have a little fun. Um, And so, so whenever social studies got a little interesting um, is how I would describe it. Uh, We made it more interesting. Um, And so Jordan sat next to me in social studies and uh, we would play tag in the middle of class. Now we wouldn't run around, we would just like touch each other and say tag, you're it. Then we try to dodge the other person's hit as our teacher would turn around and write on the the chalkboard. Um, For those of you that don't know what a chalkboard is, it's a little white piece of stick and they write and it kind of makes your ears hurt. Uh, I know we have a lot of whiteboards, right? Um, And so when our teacher would be facing the front and writing part of our history lesson, uh, we would be playing tag. And then in the moment when our teacher would turn around, uh, we would act like social studies was what we were doing the whole time. Um, And so there was this interesting moment where our teacher would be teaching and he would look, look around and we would sit up. And we were into social studies. And then he would turn back around and the game of tag was back on. Um, And so there's one moment where our teacher actually turned around and he saw us like kind of messing around and he just kind of looks at us. I don't know if you have those people in your life, but they just kind of look at you. They just kind of furrow their brow like, I don't know what's going on, but I don't want any part of that. And I don't think you should have any part of that. And so we just knew. We just knew. Tag was over. Social studies was back on. And sometimes I think we play this game with God. When we feel like he's looking, we behave ourselves. But when he turns, we feel like he's not really looking at us. We play the life that we want. So in this part of the song, I believe... Zechariah is calling us to look in and evaluate, where do we stand with God? Do we not know that our lives, in all of its entirety, we live it before our God and our Creator? Have we truly turned from our sin and turned to God? Are we still enjoying the double life of tag and social studies? Do we consider that knowing God is a privilege? So Zechariah talks about this and he says, it's a privilege to be a part of the family of God. And as he goes through verses 73, 74, and 75, he says, hey, it's a, this is a privilege to live our lives before the Lord. And so as I was looking at our Christmas tree, I think sometimes um, in our spiritual walk, we we, our life is like a Christmas tree where there's parts of our life, ornaments and decorations, and God is a part of that story, but the small part of that ornament is we give that to the Lord. Zacharias sings about a God who is actively in his people's lives, and I think when we tell ourselves the lies that we can play tag and do social studies at the same time, we're telling ourselves... A lie. So as we reflect on our lives, as we look in, what are the things that you're still holding on to? One of the things that Zechariah sings about is that God rescues his people from their enemies. And when he rescues his people from their enemies, what he does is he saves them from their enemies so that fear is no longer an issue, that we don't have to fear our enemies anymore because God saves us from our enemies. And when he does that, He gives us a life of holiness and righteousness and we live in the presence of God for the rest of our days. And so I want to ask you a couple questions related to fear because I think that's in some ways part of what holds us hostage in following our Savior and our God. So what are you fearing this morning? Do you fear death? Do you fear not being in control? Is it the fear of being found out? One of the things that I fear most is that I won't be accepted. So as a young boy, I would kind of be the squirrely kid. I would kind of be the kid, the, the center of attention because I wanted people to accept me. I wanted people to like me. And I wanted to be the one that was chosen first on the ball field. I wanted to be the one that was desired. I wanted to be the one that was thought of fondly. And so one of the things that I fear is that those people that I want approval most, I want them to approve of me, and so I have the temptation to either overwork, overextend myself, or try to put forth myself in a way that they would approve of. And so fear of people actually causes me to live a life that is contrary to who I am in Christ. And this is really what Zacharias sings about is is when God saves his people, all of those past lives are no longer needed. And so I think sometimes we get into the rhythms of fear and we on the outside look okay, but on the inside fear is ripping us up on the inside. We try to please those and we fail to please God. Zacharias sings about a God who rescues his people, and the way that he does that is he calls them out of fear and into confidence and courage and hope and healing. So as you reflect on that, I want to encourage you, are you in the moments of your life where you're like Adam and Eve, where you have fear has driven you to the point of sin, and you're in the moment of that sin, and so you run and hide yourself in shame. So you hide yourself in many ways because fear has is, is kept you hostage and you believe that you can hide from God, but the truth is, is that we live our lives before God whether we want it or like it or not. Zechariah says, I praise the Lord. Because of the righteousness and holiness that he calls me into. And so you might be thinking, I don't know, whenever I read the Bible and things like that, I see these people of faith and I'm like, how how do they go from faith and hope and holiness when all around me and inside of me I wrestle with the problem of fear? And I wrestle with serving God and here's what I believe. Here's what I believe was true of Zachariah, that he moves, like I said, from doubt to trust in God, and he goes through this crazy cycle that I think God call, is want, wanting to call us into. And God calls Zachariah, and I believe he's calling us into, as we look inward, he calls us to faith and repentance and hope. And this great cycle of faith, repentance, and hope is what actually brings encouragement for Zachariah. So he's able to sing about this God because he's not in this place of fear and despair. He's actually in this place as God's spirit is moving in his soul. He's in this place of faith and repentance and hope. And so as we look in, I hope that God is doing a work in your heart. I know this week has been crazy for me. I've had to really look back and say, God, are you sure you are the God of who you say you are? And as I look inwardly in my own heart, I see the brokenness and the dissatisfaction in my own soul. And I say, God, are you really doing a great work in me? And God continues to meet me and he continues to comfort me and he continues to remind me. And so Zachariah moves from... Looking back to looking in to looking forward. And I believe that that was actually the piece that calls Zechariah out of his doubt and into future hope. And so, as he looks forward to the day of his Savior and his God. And so, as we look forward, um, one of the, the cool things in this song that Zechariah does in verse 67 is, is he's looking back and he's wrestling through that. And he's looking in, he's wrestling through that. And then he gets to hold his son. John. And as he's holding his son John, he's remembering God said I was going to have this boy. And God provides this boy. And in the middle of his proclamation and praise, he's holding his son and he says, "You child, you son of the one that God promised, you are going to be the Elijah. You're going to go before this coming king and you are going to proclaim repentance and turning from sin and turning to God. You are gonna go to the River Jordan and you are gonna be the one that that calls people to the waters of baptism. You are gonna be the one that proclaims the good news of the gospel that the King of Kings and the Messiah is coming. And you are gonna be the one that's the forerunner of our Savior. So as he looks forward, I just think it's really, really cool that God in his magnificent divine plan he gets to actually see his son john a part of that redemptive story a part of that work that god is doing to save his people and then real briefly zechariah sings about his son that is going to prepare the way for his for the savior and then he turns almost instantly back to this coming king and this coming savior and so zechariah brings this to our forefront and he brings this and he says those living in darkness, have seen a great light. Those that are living in the shadows of darkness, there is peace coming. In high school, um, I, as some of you know, that I ran track, um, and I was kind of in the middle of the pack. Um, I wasn't slow by any means. I wasn't extremely fast by any means. I was kind of that utility guy in the middle. Um, and so I would, I love track, I love running, um, but one of those, one of those uh, moments for me um, in the track practice is we would go to these uh, track meets and uh, towards my junior and senior year, I got to run varsity and so that was super fun. Um, and as you go through the track meet, there's pole vault and there's, um, you know, you, the long jump and there's the 100 meter dash, the 200 meter dash. And towards the end of the track meet is usually those grandiose races, and one of those grandiose races is uh, the four by eight. It's when you run two times around and the guys are dog tired, the gals are dog tired, and everybody's exhausted. And then comes the last race of the meet. And it's typically the four by four. And the four by four, um, our coach referred to it as the man's race. No offense to you ladies, um, but I'm sure it was the woman's race too. Um, but they would. what what would happen is we'd run all the way around the track one time and you would give everything you got. It was pretty much a sprint for 400 meters and I don't know, for some reason it was fun. And so I would get the baton and I would be in the blocks and I would start the race and then I would pass this baton on to my teammate and then they would run and then they would pass the baton to the next teammate and they would run and finally, Quinnell McCaleb, got the baton. And Quinell was one of those guys, he was tall, he was lanky, and he was just one of those guys that the anticipation was building as the race went on. He was one of those guys that you just wanted to watch because it was this thing of beauty. He would like glide through the air and whatever place we were in, it just seemed like he was the guy that just pulled pulled it out of his hat that he would just win. And so it was this magnificent building and building and building, and all of a sudden the baton was passed to Quinell, and it was just this, it was like time stood still. And he would turn the first corner, and you would go down the back stretch, and he'd turn the last corner, and if we were in third place, all of a sudden Quinell in the last 100 meters was in first. If we were in second, all of a sudden Quinell is at this crazy Lead. It was this glorious moment of seeing the building and the building and the building of watching something magnificent. And here's what Zachariah says as he sings. He's building and building and building. And he said, Hey, we've looked back, we've looked in, and I want to I show you something that's even more glorious, more joyous, more worshipful, more honoring. More God-glorifying than that. And it's the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. It's with great expectation that Zacharias sings and he says, hey, these other movements of my song were great and all, but I want to show you that there is somebody who's coming. And this somebody who's coming is not just my son, John. And he's, and he's not just a promise that we once heard, but it's actually the Incarnation of God to live and to dwell and to live with and to save his people. And so this morning, I want to ask you a couple questions. As you look at your life, do you know this God in the flesh? Do you know this Messiah, this Emmanuel, God with us? Or have the, the fears of this world choked you in such a way that you just have pushed God at a distance and you wrestle with believing that God and his promises are true? Or are you in here this morning where you're wrestling with a God, actually you're living your life before the face of God and you want to not believe that? And so you've kind of been stiff-arming God most of your life and so what Zachariah encouraged you, there's going to come a day when this king comes. And it's not going to just be a mystery that Jesus is going to show up. There's not going to be trumpets blasting. He's going to come in the clouds and he's going to gather his people and he's going to bring them to a new heavens and a new earth. This is the future hope that we have in Christ. And so if you're in this room and you're wrestling with either some of the brokenness of that, um, I want to encourage you that God is way big. That God can handle your doubts that God can handle your wrestles, that God can handle the things that you fear, that God can handle the, the skepticism that you have. And so I want to encourage you, as we um, move into a moment of communion here in a minute, I want to just encourage you to just close your eyes and just pray. God, I, I don't even know if you're real. I've been wrestling most of my life. I don't, I don't really know that you've saved me. I, I mean, it seems great that you visit your people, and it seems great that you save your people, but I, I just wrestle with all of that. So I want to just ask you, just be honest with him this morning. And for those of you in this room that are wrestling with just God's faithfulness, you, you have kind of moved past, well, I don't know if God keeps his promises. I kind of doubt, like Zechariah, that God is actually going to do what he says he's going to do. I want to invite you into this space as well, that our God truly does keep his promises. And if you have been in a season where you've kind of been doubting God and his promises, I want to just invite you to open your heart up to the Lord and say, God, would you meet me in my brokenness? Would you meet me? Would you heal the faith that I lack? Would you help me to repent in the ways that I need to turn away from the ways that I've depended on myself and I need to trust in you? And so I want to encourage you, would you just stand, sit before the Lord this morning? Would you just be honest with him? And so in, in light of Zachariah's song, that God... In His divine promise, in His divine covenant, He truly does visit and He truly does save His people. And so I just want to pray for you. Uh, I'm going to give you a few minutes um, if you want to just kind of process through some of that, if you want to write down some of those things. I want to encourage you to, um, to write down what are the things that you are fearing this morning. And I want to encourage you to give those to the Lord. Maybe you want to talk with a friend or a family member or somebody at Gospel Community this week, I want to just encourage you to be honest. God already knows. You can't hide anything from him. And so I just, I just want to pray for us this morning as we move from just the proclamation of God's word into a moment of trust and hope and sharing in the bread and the wine of communion. So let's pray.